Section 8 of Pamela or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela or Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson. Section 8. I am now come down in my writing to this present Saturday and a deal I have written. My wicked bedfellow has very punctual orders, it seems, for she locks me and herself in, and ties the two keys, for there is a double door to the room, about her wrist when she goes to bed. She talks of the house having been attempted to be broken open two or three times, whether to fright me I can't tell, but it makes me fearful, though not so much as I should be, if I had not other and greater fears. I slept but little last night, and got up, and pretended to sit by the window, which looks into the spacious gardens. But I was writing all the time, from break of day to her getting up, and after when she was absent. At breakfast she presented the two maids to me, the cook and the housemaid, poor awkward souls, that I can see no hopes of, they seem so devoted to her and ignorance. Yet I am resolved, if possible, to find some way to escape, before this wicked master comes." There are, besides, of servants, the coachman, Robert, a groom, a helper, a footman, all but Robert, and he is accessory to my ruin, strange creatures that promise nothing, and all likewise devoted to this woman. The gardener looks like a good honest man, but he is kept at a distance and seems reserved. I wondered I saw not Mr. Williams the clergyman, but would not ask after him, apprehending it might give some jealousy but when I had beheld the rest, he was the only one I had hopes of, for I thought his cloth would set him above assisting in my ruin. But in the afternoon he came, for it seems he has a little Latin school in the neighboring village which he attends, and this brings him in a little matter, additional to my master's favor, till something better falls, of which he has hopes. He is a sensible, sober young gentleman, and when I saw him, I confirmed myself in my hopes of him, for he seemed to take great notice of my distress and grief, for I could not hide it, though he appeared fearful of Mrs. Jukes, who watched all our motions and words. He has an apartment in the house, but is mostly at a lodging in the town, for a conveniency of his little school, only on Saturday afternoon and Sundays, and he preaches sometimes for the minister of the village, which is about three miles off. I hope to go to church with him to-morrow. Sure it is not in her instructions to deny me. He can't have thought of everything, and something might strike out for me there. I have asked her for a faint, because she shan't think I am so well provided, to indulge me with pen and ink, though I have been using my own so freely when her absence would let me, for I begged to be left to myself as much as possible. She says she will let me have it, but then I must promise not to send any writing out of the house without her seeing it. I said, it was only to divert my grief when I was by myself, as I desired to be, for I loved writing as well as reading, but I had nobody to send to, she knew well enough. No, not at present, maybe, said she, but I am told you are a great writer, and it is in my instructions to see all you write. So, look you here, said she, I will let you have a pen and ink and two sheets of paper, for this employment will keep you out of worse thoughts, 
but I must see them always when I ask, written or not written. That's very hard, said I, but may I not have to myself the closet in the room where we lie, with the key to lock up my things? I believe I may consent to that, said she, and I will set it in order for you, and leave the key in the door. And there is a spinet, too, said she. If it be in tune, you may play to divert you now and then, for I know my old lady learnt you, and below is my master's library, you may take out what books you will. And indeed these in my writing will be all my amusement, for I have no work given me to do, and the spinet, if in tune, will not find my mind, I am sure, in tune to play upon it. But I went directly and picked out some books from the library, with which I filled a shelf in the closet she gave me possession of, and from these I hoped to receive improvement as well as amusement. But no sooner was her back turned than I set about hiding a pen of my own here and another there, for fear I should come to be denied, and a little of my ink in a broken china cup, and a little in another cup, and a sheet of paper here and there among my linen, with a little of the wax and a few wafers in several places, lest I should be searched, and something, I thought, might happen to open a way for my deliverance by these or some other means. Oh, the pride, thought I, I shall have, if I can secure my innocence and escape the artful wiles of this wicked master. For, if he comes hither, I am undone to be sure. For this naughty woman will assist him rather than fail in the worst of his attempts, and he'll have no occasion to send her out of the way, as he would have done Mrs. Jervis once. So I must set all my little wits at work. It is a grief to me to write, and not to be able to send to you what I write, but now it is all the diversion I have, and if God will favor my escape with my innocence, as I trust he graciously will for all these black prospects, with what pleasure shall I read them afterwards? I was going to say, pray for your dutiful daughter, as I used, but, alas, you cannot know my distress, though I am sure I have your prayers, and I will write on as things happen, that if a way should open, my scribble may be ready to be sent, for what I do must be at a jerk, to be sure. Oh, how I want such an obliging honest-hearted man as John! I am now come to Sunday. Well, here is a sad thing. I am denied by this barbarous woman to go to church, as I had built upon I might, and she has huffed poor Mr. Williams all to pieces for pleading for me. I find he is to be forbid the house, if she pleases. Poor gentleman, all his dependence is upon my master, who has a very good living for him if the incumbent die, and he has kept his bed these four months of old age and dropsy. He pays me great respect, and I see pities me, and would, perhaps, assist my escape from these dangers. But I have nobody to plead for me, and why should I wish to ruin a poor gentleman by engaging him against his interest? Yet one would do anything to preserve one's innocence, and Providence would, perhaps, make it up to him. Oh, judge, but how shall you see what I write, of my distracted condition, to be reduced to such a pass as to a desire to lay traps for mankind? but he wants sadly to say something to me, as he whisperingly hinted. The wretch, I think I shall always call her the wretch henceforth, abuses me more and more. 
I was but talking to one of the maids just now, indeed a little to tamper with her by degrees, and she popped upon us and said, Nay, madam, don't offer to tempt poor innocent country maidens from doing their duty. You wanted, I hear, she should take a walk with you. But I charge you, Nan, never stir with her, nor obey her, without letting me know it, in the smallest trifles. I say, walk with you, and where would you go, I trow? Why, barbarous Mrs. Jukes, said I, only to look a little up the elm walk, since you would not let me go to church. Nan, said she, to show me how much they were all in her power, pull off madame's shoes and bring them to me. I have taken care of her others. Indeed she shan't, said I. Nay, said Nan, but I must if my mistress bids me. So pray, madame, don't hinder me. And so indeed, would you believe it? She took my shoes off and left me barefoot, and, for my share, I have been so frighted at this that I have not power even to relieve my mind by my tears. I am quite stupefied, to be sure. Here I was forced to leave off. Now I will give you a picture of this wretch. She is a broad, squat, pursy, fat thing, quite ugly if anything human can be so called, about forty years old. She has a huge hand, and an arm as thick as my waist, I believe. Her nose is flat and crooked, and her brows grow down over her eyes, a dead spiteful gray googling eye, to be sure she has. And her face is flat and broad, and as to color, looks as if it had been pickled a month in saltpeter. I dare say she drinks. She has a hoarse, man-like voice, and is as thick as she is long and yet looks so deadly strong that I am afraid she would dash me at her foot in an instant if I was to vex her, so that with a heart more ugly than her face she frightens me sadly, and I am undone to be sure if God does not protect me, for she is very, very wicked, indeed she is. This is poor helpless spite in me, but the picture is too near the truth notwithstanding. She sends me a message just now, that I shall have my shoes again, if I will accept of her company to walk with me in the garden. To waddle with me, rather, thought I. Well, tis not my business to quarrel with her downright. I shall be watched the narrower if I do. And so I will go with the hated wretch. Oh, for my dear Mrs. Jervis! Or rather, to be safe with my dear father and mother. Oh, I am out of my wits for joy! Just as I have got my shoes on, I am told John, honest John, is come on horseback. A blessing on his faithful heart. What joy is this? But I'll tell you more by and by. I must not let her know I am so glad to see this dear blessed John, to be sure. Alas, but he looks sad, as I see him out of the window. What can be the matter? I hope my dear parents are well, and Mrs. Jervis, and Mr. Longman, and everybody, my naughty master not excepted for I wish him to live and repent of all his wickedness to poor me. Oh, dear heart, what a world do we live in! I am now come to take up my pen again, but I am in a sad taking truly, another puzzling trial to be sure. Here was John, as I said, and the poor man came to me with Mrs. Jukes, who whispered that I would say nothing about my shoes for my own sake, as she said. The poor man saw my distress by my red eyes, and my haggard looks, I suppose, for I have had a sad time of it, you must needs think. 
and though he would have hid it, if he could, yet his own eyes ran over. Oh, Mrs. Pamela, said he. Oh, Mrs. Pamela. Well, honest fellow-servant, said I, I cannot help it at present. I am obliged to your honesty and kindness, to be sure. And then he wept more. Said I, for my heart was ready to break to see his grief, for it is a touching thing to see a man cry. Tell me the worst, is my master coming? No, no, said he, and sobbed. Well, said I, is there any news of my poor father and mother? How do they do? I hope well, said he, I know nothing to the contrary. There is no mishap, I hope, to Mrs. Jervis or to Mr. Longman or to my fellow-servants. No, said he, poor man, with a long no, as if his heart would burst. Well, thank God, then, said I. The man's a fool, said Mrs. Jukes, I think. What a do is here. Why, sure thou art in love, John. Dost thou not see young madame is well? What ails thee, man? Nothing at all, said he, but I am such a fool as to cry for joy to see good Mrs. Pamela but I have a letter for you. I took it and saw it was from my master, so I put it in my pocket. Mrs. Jukes, said I, you need not, I hope, see this. No, no, said she, I see whose it is well enough, or else, maybe, I must have insisted on reading it. And here is one for you, Mrs. Jukes, said he, but yours, said he to me, requires an answer, which I must carry back early in the morning, or to-night if I can. "'You have no more, John,' said Mrs. Jukes, "'for Mrs. Pamela, have you?' "'No,' said he, "'I have not, but everybody's kind love and service.' "'Aye, to us both, to be sure,' said she. "'John,' said I, "'I will read the letter, and pray take care of yourself, "'for you are a good man, God bless you.' and I rejoice to see you and hear from you all. But I longed to say more, only that nasty Mrs. Jukes. So I went up and locked myself in my closet and opened the letter, and this is a copy of it. My dearest Pamela, I send purposely to you on an affair that concerns you very much, and me somewhat, but chiefly for your sake. I am conscious that I have proceeded by you in such a manner as may justly alarm your fears, and give concern to your honest friends. And all my pleasure is that I can and will make you amends for the disturbance I have given you. As I promised, I sent to your father the day after your departure, that he might not be too much concerned for you, and assured him of my honor to you, and made an excuse, such an one as ought to have satisfied him, for your not coming to him. But this was not sufficient, it seems, for he, poor man, came to me next morning, and set my family almost in an uproar about you. Oh, my dear girl, what trouble has not your obstinacy given me, and yourself, too? I had no way to pacify him, but to promise that he should see a letter written from you to Mrs. Jervis, to satisfy him you are well. Now all my care in this case is for your aged parents, lest they should be touched with too fatal a grief and for you, whose duty and affection for them I know to be so strong and laudable. For this reason I beg you will write a few lines to them, and let me prescribe the form, which I have done, putting myself as near as I can in your place, and expressing your sense, 
with a warmth that I doubt will not have too much possessed you. After what is done, and which cannot now be helped, but which, I assure you, shall turn out honorably for you, I expect not to be refused, because I cannot possibly have any view in it but to satisfy your parents, which is more your concern than mine, and so I must beg you not alter one tittle of the underneath. If you do, it will be impossible for me to send it, or that it should answer the good end I propose by it. I have promised that I will not approach you without your leave. If I find you easy, and not attempting to dispute or avoid your present lot, I will keep to my word, although it is a difficulty upon me. Nor shall your restraint last long, for I will assure you that I am resolved very soon to convince you of my good intentions, and with what ardor I am, yours, etc. The letter he prescribed for me was as this. Dear Mrs. Jervis, I have, instead of being driven by Robin to my dear father's, been carried off, where I have no liberty to tell. However, at present, I am not used hardly, and I write to beg you to let my dear father and mother, whose hearts must be well-nigh broken, know that I am well, and that I am, and, by the grace of God, ever will be, their honest as well as dutiful daughter, and, your obliged friend. I must neither send date nor place, but have most solemn assurances of honorable usage. I knew not what to do on this most strange request and occasion, but my heart bled so much for you, my dear father, who had taken the pains to go yourself, and inquire after your poor daughter, as well as for my dear mother, that I resolved to write, and pretty much in the above form, that it might be sent to pacify you, till I could let you, somehow or other, know the true state of the matter. And I wrote thus to my strange wicked master himself, Sir, if you knew but the anguish of my mind, and how much I suffer by your dreadful usage of me, you would surely pity me and consent to my deliverance. What have I done that I should be the only mark of your cruelty? I can have no hope, no desire of living left me, because I cannot have the least dependence, after what has passed, upon your solemn assurances. It is impossible they should be consistent with the dishonorable methods you take. Nothing but your promise of not seeing me here in my deplorable bondage can give me the least ray of hope. Don't, I beseech you, drive the poor distressed Pamela upon a rock that may be the destruction both of her soul and body. You don't know, sir, how dreadfully I dare, weak as I am of mind and intellect, when my virtue is in danger. And, oh, hasten my deliverance, that a poor unworthy creature, below the notice of such a gentleman as you, may not be made the sport of a high condition, for no reason in the world but because she is not able to defend herself, nor has a friend that can write her. I have, sir, in part to show my obedience to you, but indeed I own more to give ease to the minds of my poor distressed parents, whose poverty, one would think, should screen them from violences of this sort, as well as their poor daughter, followed pretty much the form you have prescribed for me, in the letter to Mrs. Jervis, and the alterations I have made, for I could not help a few, are of such a nature as, though they show my concern a little, yet must answer the end you are pleased to say you propose by this letter. For God's sake, good sir, pity my lowly condition, and my present great misery, 
and let me join with all the rest of your servants to bless that goodness which you have extended to every one but the poor afflicted heart-broken Pamela. I thought when I had written this letter, and that which he had prescribed, it would look like placing a confidence in Mrs. Jukes to show them to her, and I showed her at the same time my master's letter to me, for I believed the value he expressed for me would give me credit with one who professed in everything to serve him, right or wrong, though I had so little reason, I fear, to pride myself in it, and I was not mistaken, for it has seemed to influence her not a little, as she is at present mighty obliging, and runs over in my praises. But it is the less to be minded, because she praises as much the author of my miseries, and his honorable intentions, as she calls them, for I see that she is capable of thinking, as I fear he does, that everything that makes for his wicked will is honorable, though to the ruin of the innocent. Pray God I may find it otherwise, though I hope, whatever the wicked gentleman may intend, that I shall be at the last rid of her impertinent bold way of talk, when she seems to think from his letter that he means honorably. I am now come to Monday, the fifth day of my bondage and misery. I was in hope to have an opportunity to see John, and have a little private talk with him before he went away, but it could not be. The poor man's excessive sorrow made Mrs. Jukes take it into her head to think he loved me, and so she brought up a message to me from him this morning that he was going. I desired he might come up to my closet, as I called it, and she came with him. The honest man, as I thought him, was as full of concern as before at taking leave, and I gave him two letters, the one for Mrs. Jervis, enclosed in another for my master. But Mrs. Jukes would see me seal them up, lest I should enclose anything else. I was surprised, at the man's going away, to see him drop a bit of paper just at the head of the stairs, which I took up without being observed by Mrs. Jukes. But I was a thousand times more surprised, when I returned to my closet, and opening it, read as follows. Good Mrs. Pamela, I am grieved to tell you how much you have been deceived and betrayed, and that by such a vile dog as I. Little did I think it would come to this. But I must say, if ever there was a rogue in the world, it is me. I have all along showed your letters to my master. He employed me for that purpose, and he saw every one before I carried them to your father and mother and then sealed them up, and sent me with them. I had some business that way, but not half so often as I pretended. And as soon as I heard how it was, I was ready to hang myself. You may well think I could not stand in your presence. Oh, vile, vile wretch, to bring you to this! If you are ruined, I am the rogue that caused it. All the justice I can do to you is to tell you you are in vile hands and I am afraid will be undone in spite of all your sweet innocence, and I believe I shall never live after I know it. If you can forgive me, you are exceeding good, but I shall never forgive myself, that's certain. Howsomever, it will do you no good to make this known, and mayhap I may live to do you service. If I can, I will. I am sure I ought. Master kept your last two or three letters, and did not send them at all. I am the most abandoned wretch of wretches. J. Arnold. You see your undoing has been long hatching. Pray take care of your sweet self. Mrs. Jukes is a devil, 
but in my master's t'other house you have not one false heart but myself. Out upon me for a villain. My dear father and mother, when you come to this place, I make no doubt your hair will stand on end as mine does. Oh, the deceitfulness of the heart of man! This John, that I took to be the honestest of men, that you took for the same, that was always praising you to me, and me to you, and for nothing so much as for our honest hearts, this very fellow was all the while a vile hypocrite, and a perfidious wretch, and helping to carry on my ruin. But he says so much of himself, that I will only sit down with this sad reflection, that power and riches never want tools to promote their vilest ends, and there is nothing so hard to be known as the heart of man. I can but pity the poor wretch, since he seems to have great remorse, and I believe it best to keep his wickedness secret. If it lies in my way, I will encourage his penitence, for I may possibly make some discoveries by it. One thing I should mention in this place, he brought down, in a portmanteau, all the clothes and things my lady and master had given me, and moreover two velvet hoods and a velvet scarf that used to be worn by my lady. But I have no comfort in them or anything else. Mrs. Jukes had the portmanteau brought into my closet, and she showed me what was in it, but then locked it up and said that she would let me have what I would out of it when I asked, but if I had the key it might make me want to go abroad, maybe, and so the confident woman put it in her pocket. I gave myself over to sad reflections upon this strange and surprising discovery of John's, and wept much for him and for myself, too, for now I see, as he says, my ruin has been long hatching, that I can make no doubt what my master's honorable professions will end in. What a heap of hard names does the poor fellow call himself! but what must they deserve, then, who set him to work? Oh, what has this wicked master to answer for, to be so corrupt himself, and to corrupt others, who would have been all innocent, and to carry on a poor plot, I am sure for a gentleman, to ruin a poor creature who never did him harm, nor wished him any, and who can still pray for his happiness and his repentance? I can't but wonder what these gentlemen, as they are called, can think of themselves for these vile doings. John had some inducement, for he hoped to please his master, who rewarded him and was bountiful to him. And the same may be said, bad as she is, for this same odious Mrs. Jukes. But what inducement has my master for taking so much pains to do the devil's work for him? If he loves me, as tis falsely called, must he therefore lay traps for me to ruin me and make me as bad as himself? I cannot imagine what good the undoing of such a poor creature as I can procure him. To be sure, I am a very worthless body. People, indeed, say I am handsome, but if I was so, should not a gentleman prefer an honest servant to a guilty harlot? And must he be more earnest to seduce me, because I dread of all things to be seduced, and would rather lose my life than my honesty? Well, these are strange things to me. I cannot account for them, for my share. But sure nobody will say that these fine gentlemen have any tempter but their own wicked wills. His naughty master could run away from me when he apprehended his servants might discover his vile attempts upon me in that sad closet affair. But is it not strange that he should not be afraid of the all-seeing eye, 
from which even that base plotting heart of his in its most secret motions could not be hid but what avail me these sorrowful reflections he is and will be wicked and designs me a victim to his lawless attempts if the god in whom i trust and to whom i hourly pray prevent it not end of section eight